the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Matthew Dodd. I'm the Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon. I'm also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. Today, I'm honored to be in studio with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center, and he's also the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. Honored to be with you again in studio, hosting once again the Georgine Rice Show. It really is an honor. It really is a great honor, and uh, thank you, Georgine, for uh, trusting us with your uh, your radio program. Let's try not to break it. <laughs> <clears throat> you know... Um, Blessers of Israel is committed to equipping the church right. so that they understand the importance of standing with Israel in the latter days. Full disclosure, uh, Georgine Rice is not only a friend of Calvary Chapel, but she's a mm-hmm. member of the Blessers of Israel board. So mm-hmm. this is really of special importance for all of us, and we're so grateful that the viewers or the listeners are, are able to join us today to talk about what is going on in Israel, because mm-hmm. headline after headline after headline is discussing the different dynamics of what's taking place in Israel and how it not only impacts the region, but literally the globe. And so I think it would be good for us just to get an update as to the state Mm -hmm. of where things are at, and perhaps, Pastor Rich, you can share a little bit about that. Well, of course, and I do agree, I think it's time for an update. But I think we want to start with, of course, all right, October 7, 2023, tragedy unfolded, Hamas terrorists, militants, infiltrated Israel uh, at never-before-seen never levels of, of tragedy. I mean, unspeakable horrors were unleashed upon Israel uh, on October 7th. So, predictably, uh, Israel responded very, very strongly. Now, uh, I think it's important to point out that the goal— that uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu point, uh, stated clearly was that the goal was the elimination of Hamas, right? No longer can we tolerate to have a Hamas controlling Gaza. And of course, to get the hostages back. And now it's been several months. And where are we in this in this unfolding war? Well, I believe we are in the latter stages of the war. I mean, we're talking about them right now. They are discussing whether or not to to attack Rafah, which is the southernmost um, city, really right next to the border with Egypt. And so th- there is this really last bastion of Hamas militants holed up there, literally, uh, in Rafah. And they've been already in Khan Yunus, which is also near the south, 
Uh, they, they've been in Gaza City, which is quite a bit in the north. I mean, they have just systematically gone from, from the north to the south. Now they're right at the footsteps of Rafa. And, of course, uh, the, the Biden administration and many around the world are saying, hold up right there because where are these people going to go? And so, you know, I think there is a lot to discuss about what's happening now. But I think, you know, in, that's, that's, those are very general terms, right? But I think we, we want to also say, okay, where are we now? Yes. And um, maybe, maybe even we should answer some of the questions that have been on the minds of many, many people as this uh, a, a tragedy has been unfolding. Some of these questions we really need to address. But then I think before this program is over, I'd like us to also discuss what's coming next. And so maybe what we should start with is some of the questions that I think are, are, are on a lot of people's minds. And I'd like to start with this question, and that is, has Israel gone too far? I mean, is there such a thing as too far? And that's a fair question. In fact, at the International Court of Justice, South right. Africa weighed in and said, you're going too far. You're committing genocide. All, right. And they listed a list of things. I read through all of their, their, their statements. Uh, this is what you're doing. Now, what's interesting is, is that on that court, you have many who are representatives, mm-hmm. justices from other countries that are no friends of Israel. True. But, but what was their verdict? Well, of course, they did not make that declaration that uh, Israel was conducting genocide, although they warned them. Mm-hmm. And right. they want them to report back. But I thought it was also interesting that just came out at the end of last week that um, they were asked once again, hey, we need to stop what's going on in Rafah. Mm-hmm. Well, there needs to be a ceasefire. And again, the ICJ mm-hmm. did not say there must be a ceasefire. Then that demand a ceasefire. And by the way, interesting side note, of course, whenever we hear these calls of a ceasefire, it's always one-sided. Sure. Right. And it's essentially saying to Israel, put down your arms. Stop attacking uh, Hamas. Never do I hear Hamas, you know, put down your arms and stop attacking Israel. Where's the demand for the terrorist? I mean, the, uh, the, 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 the hostages to be released. Exactly. Where, where is the demand for there to be this type of... Um, uh, you know, that justice meter, that this is what's fair for both sides. We can have really a win-win for both sides. But when you bring up the justice meter, I think that has to bring up again the question, did Israel go too far? Are they going too far? Is there such a thing as too far? So, for example, um, we know that Hamas has made it very clear that their stated goal is the full destruction of Israel. I don't think they would go to, there's no limits on how far they would go. In fact, they've said repeatedly, this is just phase one. Right. This is just phase one of what we ultimately plan to achieve. From the river into the sea, Palestine will be free, which very clearly means to Hamas the full destruction of Israel. Right. What do you do when you have under your purview a people who, that are fully committed to your complete annihilation? Right. So we understand Hamas's stated goals. So 
Benjamin Netanyahu has come back and said, well, their stated goal now is Hamas must be destroyed. How far will they go to do it? That is the question. So, therefore, would they completely destroy Gaza? I, I don't think so. In fact, there would be such an uproar, a backlash geopolitically if they were to make such a maneuver that they would lose all support, especially from the United States. Well, are they approaching that point? Because, I mean, as we're reading in the news, there is now nearly 30,000, probably realistically, perhaps more than 30,000 Palestinian lives lost. At what point do they say enough? Right. Well, they're they're making that statement now, right? That's they, coming they, they from— They are making that statement. I mean, in fact, um, there's before the U.N., uh, you know, an, a, a call for a, 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 a total ceasefire. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the United States is trying to soften the language for mm-hmm. a temporary ceasefire. But again, when you're dealing with an enemy combatant that seeks your complete annihilation, and for you as a, as a leader within the Israeli government, you are tasked with protecting the lives of those within your border. Mm-hmm. And you have this enemy outside your border who is committed to your destruction. What are you going to do? So, would they completely annihilate Gaza? Answer, no. No. No, they will not go that far, right? But now, many have said, well, they've already gone very close to it, right? So, what is the limit? Exactly. Well, we're coming up uh, to a uh, to break right here, and uh, we're going to continue this dialogue talking about Israel and what's going on in the Middle East. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on 93.9 KPDQ and 820 AM The Word. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Executive Director of Blessers of Israel and also the Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon. Today I'm in studio with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center, and he's also the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. Uh, during our last segment, Pastor Rich, we were, were talking about, in light of what transpired on October 7th of last year, mm-hmm. has Israel <clears throat> gone too far in terms of removing the threat of Hamas from her borders? Mm-hmm. Well, and of course... How can you really answer that question? It's a subjective question. But I, I think that the the consensus, you might say, is they're really at the edge of going too far. <clears throat> now, the stated goal of Israel, as I mentioned earlier, is the uh, complete destruction of Hamas. Now, can you really get rid of Hamas? I don't think so. Well, and I don't think so either, <clears throat> just because— you have, number one, support in Gaza for the Palest- from the Palestinian people. You're talking about 75 to 85% that are in support of Hamas uh, by the Palestinian people. Number two, you have the indoctrination right. of the younger generations. Right. So now you have to work through the entire educational system and, for lack of a better way of saying it, reprogram, mm-hmm. re-educate, mm-hmm. so that they now view the Jews in a different light. Well, and, and I forget the number of Hamas militants that were embedded in Gaza. I think I heard 30,000 fighters, something like that. And the, the last figures I heard that 
probably a third of them have been. That's what I've heard as well. And maybe another third of them have been, uh, let's say, taken out of combat, combat readiness due to injury. That remains a third. And, of course, they, we know where they are, right? They're embedded in the population, or B, they're holed up in tunnels. Though some have said that they may have gotten their way out of Gaza yes. into Egypt. Waiting an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? This, this is not going to go away. You can't just defeat Hamas and then expect there to be peace, right? This is going to be an ongoing conflict for a number of years. But can it be contained? Really, they, it, can they be contained? I don't believe that they can be in, eliminated no more than you can eliminate Nazism. But can it be contained? Well, yes, we saw that in Germany, and I think it is a fair comparison. And uh, so that, is, I believe, is where we're going to go next, where, where Israel is going to go next. They're going to have to bring in a, uh, an occupation, okay, for lack of a better word, uh, to militarily control the dynamics north to the south. Now, what, what are they going to do with Rafa? I think that is an open question. Uh, they are poised to, and ready to go in. Uh, very likely they will, frankly. In fact, the longer they wait, the more it gives <clears throat> Hamas time to regroup and solidify their position. But it is uh, a big question about how much backlash will they receive if they do. Because, number one, uh, the Palestinian population, non-militants, where are they going to go? Right, Egypt has already made very clear we're not going to take those militants. But what is interesting, a report came out last week that there was satellite imagery of Egypt building a wall. Yes. So it looks like there's some type of encampment that they're anticipating or potentially preparing for in the event that something like that were to happen. Okay, now that is an interesting little side uh, bar, but I think it is important. They're not building that fence right on the border. Not at all. <clears throat> so what do you think their their rationale is? Uh, what is it, eight kilometers back? What do you think their rationale is for building that wall eight kilometers back from the border? Well, I think uh, to contain, to contain, to let them come out so that the Hamas terrorists can be mm-hmm. removed, captured, removed, however you want to slice it and dice it, and then hopefully you can re- uh, integrate the Palestinians that were in those camps in Egypt back into Palestine. Um, and, of course, at the same time, it leads to the question, well, can't the uh, Hamas militants just embed themselves there? Of course they can. So, and that's the problem. <clears throat> They're integrating. In fact, uh, a recent report just came out stating that, that Hamas has now moved from conducting warfare via the tunnels, mm-hmm. the intricate tunnel system that they have mm-hmm. uh, created, into these populated areas such as hospitals and right. schools and whatnot. Mm-hmm. No, where, where, where are the Palestinians, the, the men and uh, the women and children who are not Hamas terrorists, are populated using them once again as a human shield? That, of course, is the greatest dilemma here, right? Because it's not like, uh, you know, in Germany or uh, Japan or whatever where the army is in camps, right? And we, we know where they are. No, when they embed themselves in the population, how in, are you going to extract them out of the population? Yeah, it's not like they're going to wear a T-shirt that says, I'm a Hamas terrorist, please take me out. Right, you know? right. They're going to embed themselves. But that's the point, right? In fact, I re- I'm sure you read the same article that they have to, uh, Israel, the IDF, was essentially going through every 
doctor that was there because they were pretending to be doctors. Exactly right. So, I mean, you want to talk about embedding. And then you have the United <clears throat> Nations, UNRWA, that's also part of that, complicit within it. And now we have very, very muddy waters in regards mm-hmm. to, again, getting back to your question, has Israel gone too far when you see the tentacles mm-hmm. of Hamas going very, very deep, deeper than any tunnel, because it's ideological? Uh, absolutely. And how do you deal with an ideology? Um, you cannot eliminate an ideology, but you can certainly dissemble their ability to do war. And that, of course, is the very reason that Israel is doing what they're doing. <clears throat> but, again, what is too far? How far do you go? Um, that's the dilemma, right? They have embedded themselves in this civilian population so deeply that it is impossible to extract them, which is the stated goal, without the collateral damage of civilian um, suffering. And by the way, speaking of that, just another angle, you know, there has been a lot of chatter, a lot of discussion in regards to Israel going too far because of the civilian casualties. Now, keep in mind, um, Hamas doesn't report any distinction between a terrorist that's killed versus civilian population that's killed. Mm -hmm. But I found an interesting article by John Spencer. He's the chair of urban warfare studies at the Modern War Institute at West Point and served for 25 years as an infantry soldier and did two tours in Iraq. And he does an analysis. I mean, he's like the leading authority in the world in regards to urban warfare. Mm -hmm. And he said that you cannot compare what Israel's going through with any other type of war in modern history, uh, with an enemy that's entrenched in these tunnels, with an enemy that's willing to use its own citizens as human shields to accomplish its, uh, accomplish its stated goal. Okay, okay now, so why, what does he say that Israel is doing different, let's say, than other... <clears throat> that they, number one, for instance, case in point, they would actually send out... Um, Uh, phone messages Mm. to the Palestinians, Mm -hmm. a million phone messages saying, we're going to attack this one area, please leave by this time. Mm -hmm. Unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Dropping maps. Mm -hmm. Here's where we're going to be, and there's where you need to not be in order for us to attack this area. Never happened before. Mm -hmm. And basically, his conclusion is this. We cannot say that Israel's not doing all that needs to be done to protect the civilian population, because what they're doing is without precedent and actually is far superior than anything that's ever been done by even the U.S. military. Well, we're coming up against a station break here. Um, It's been a great dialogue. We'll continue this dialogue further in the next segment. Uh, So grateful that everyone's joining us today. And uh, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on 93.9 KPDQ and 820 AM The Word. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon. I'm also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel in studio with Pastor Rich Jones, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro. Honored to work with you in that capacity and also 
you're the chair and uh, founder of Blessers of Israel, so another capacity that we get to work on. And, and I think it's important to point out, since <laughs> since we're hosting the show, yes, I think I think we, it's, it's perfectly fine for us to point out this ministry, yeah. Blessers of Israel, which is an, a, a ministry geared, of course, on just as the title says, to bless Israel, but yes, and also to inform uh, Christian world on what is happening, world events through the lens of the biblical perspective and bringing insight into the happening of the the events. In yeah, the basically world. we want to we want to help the church understand the significance of Israel and supporting Israel in the latter days. And so right. on our website you'll we have a podcast. Love to have you join us for the podcast. We have articles, original articles that deal with the topics that we hear in the news, but then bring a biblical perspective to those topics. And in addition, we curate news from all these different sources because we're committed to making sure those who follow us online uh, have the best news, have the best information so that he can make informed decisions, but even more importantly, know how to pray specifically for Israel. Mm -hmm. How to stand with Israel. How to stand with Israel in the latter days. Website is blessers. Yeah, with an O-R-S dot mm-hmm. O-R-G. So blessers, www.blessers with an O-R-S dot O-R-G. And, of course, we're on all the social media yeah. and all of that. Follow right. us on Facebook, Twitter, <clears throat> Getter. Now, before the break, you brought up um, an interesting kind of a side comment, but I, I think that it's important to look at it because I think that there are a lot of people who, who maybe are not aware of what is happening with this United Nations um, Relief and Works Agency, which is funded by the United Nations, which is funded by the United States. Which is funded by our taxpayer dollars. <laughs> yeah, and of course, many other nations of the world, but United Nation, uh, United States is the biggest supporter of United Nations. Anyway, you brought up um, this agency, mm-hmm. And that Hamas, come to find out through what is happening there, is has infiltrated, you might say, UNRWA or this agency. Maybe describe what you're referring to. Yeah, basically it came out with recent news reports. I believe it was posted, uh, prim- it began with Israel, mm-hmm. that, that uh, it was discovered the connections between Hamas and UNRWA and how that they've been complicit in what took place on October 7th, but also afterwards in regards to acting in many ways as a buffer, as a shield, and if I'm not mistaken, even with the housing of hostages, Mm -hmm. there have been many, many different layers to this, which shows again how the tentacles of Hamas have reached in even to this supposedly nonpartisan organization, the United Nations, to a basically achieve their stated goal. Well, I think the United Nations is another topic all into itself. The degree of anti-Semitism, frankly, that is embedded in the United Nations is quite startling. Israel comes under attack more than any other nation. It is a complete blatant uh, uh, discrepancy uh, in, uh, or maybe say, an unfair approach Right, the standard by which Israel is held is not even close to the standard that is held in other countries of the world. Frankly, if I can be so bold, I think it was quite shocking 
and ironic that South Africa, of all nations, is the one that was pursuing uh, Israel in the International Court of Justice. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you have a situation there in South Africa that is not anywhere near oh my. what is happening in Israel. We have friends from South Africa yes, we do. who would tell you the condition, condition of things in South Africa is anything but human rights. Exactly right. And so now you have this situation where they use the words like genocide, the oppressor versus the oppressed. And these are common things that we hear. It's a neo-Marxist ideology. And people hear that and they immediately think there's something wrong that Israel's doing without digging into the details like UNRWA and discovering, wait a second here, things are slated against Israel we don't have an equal playing field here mm-hmm. whatsoever. <clears throat> so again, if you're in Israel's shoes, and going back to the earlier question from segment one, has Israel gone too far? Well, how do you go too far when you realize that those who are supposed to be supporting you equal playing field are actually also turned against you and supporting your enemies? Mm-hmm. Well, again, we don't I, have a fair fight here. No, I agree. But I do want to state that there is such a thing as too far. Right. I mean, Israel, for example, if Israel destroyed all of Gaza, that's too far. Right. If they indiscriminately just bombed the the whole thing north to south, that's too far. And that's why I believe the article I I, I mentioned in our last segment from from, uh, John Spencer, Mm -hmm. this world-renowned specialist in regards to urban warfare, trains classes at West Point, says you cannot equate what Israel's doing in Gaza with anything that's ever been done, even by the United States, in the history of warfare. To protect. Exactly. To protect civilians. And and, and you and I, we're both pained by what we see. Yeah. Absolutely pained by what we see. And it could stop the next day if the leaders of Hamas would say, we're done. We concede. We're no longer going to pursue this anymore. Here are the hostages. It could be done. Mm. At least it would look like it would be done for a moment because we talked about in another segment as well how that education, that indoctrination of these other generations, uh, you know, er, younger generations, that's going to come into play. Plus mm-hmm. you have the influences outside, such as Iran. Mm-hmm. They're push- Do you think for a moment Iran's going to stand by and say, okay, Hamas is done now because, because they're having a hard time? They're going to keep pushing, pushing, and pushing as much as they can. If they can't have Hamas do it, they'll find somebody else, well, another but- proxy. And, of course, you bring up Iran, and I think that <laughs> that is a topic that we, we would do well to spend some time on. It's very, very critical to understand their influence. I think that right now we are seeing Iran in, in some ways, let's say, pulling back. They have. And, I mean, they don't want a direct confrontation, and they have to be careful because their proxies have pushed that limit very – I mean, the Houthis – is a clear example. They have. And they got pushed back from China. Right. Because the United States reached out to China saying, hey, in the Red Sea, we're not seeing things go the way they should go. We're concerned that it's going to continue to escalate. And, and, and what does China do? China reaches out the next week to Iran. Iran says, hey, you guys need to back it off a bit. Iraq even. We don't want to see this escalate any further. Right. And suddenly things are beginning to calm down now, which that creates a whole nother issue. You talk about Iran. What about China? 
and their involvement there. Oh, now that's a whole, we need a we need a whole day on China, frankly, and their influence not only in the Middle East but around the world, and their agenda is very very important for our listeners to understand. But I want to go back to Israel just for a moment because there's, they are facing this dilemma. Right. What are we going to do? Maybe we can address that after this break. Yeah, it's coming up on as fast. These go by so fast. I know. Well, you're listening to the George Re- Georgine Rice Show on 93.9 KPDQ and 820 AM. The word so blessed that you're with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Executive Director of Blessers of Israel and also the Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon. Honored today to be in studio with Pastor Rich Jones. He's a senior pastor of Calvary Chapel and also the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. Pastor Rich, during the last few segments, we've been talking about uh, the question, has Israel gone too far? Uh, and what does it look like in terms of a solution the day after? Mm-hmm. The day after Hamas, if possible, is removed from the Gaza Strip. Well, number one, Hamas is not going to be removed. Not in, not entirely. Now, the ideology for sure is not going to be removed. But... Um, when we think about what's next, it's a very important question because, frankly, frankly, we're almost there. What I mean by that is Israel is in the last stages. Right? They have to be because they're, they're in the south. Right? They've only got one major city left, which is Rafa. And um, there's a lot of outcry right now, like, don't go in, don't go in. But at the same time, they're saying, well, that's where they've all embedded themselves now. Um, it's a tough situation because... You know, they told, Israel told the Palestinian population to to remove themselves from the north. Where did they go? Well, they went right to the south. They went as far as south as they could. They went to Rafa. And frankly, that was understandable because that's where the, that's where the uh, food sources were coming mm-hmm. in from Egypt. But now they're there. I mean, we're talking about now an even more densely populated Rafa that now has embedded into it uh, Hamas. What remains of Hamas, and I think that's about a third of Hamas left, but that's still probably ten thousand. Right? That's that's no small figure, it is. and they're embedded deeply in there. Now, now, interestingly, it's worth pointing out there are a lot of uh, Palestinian Hamas militants, terrorists that are giving themselves up, sometimes in mass, fifty, hundred at a time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of them that they clearly see either you give up or you die. Clearly. But that brings us back to, again, the, the problem. What next? Well, I believe we got to look at what next in two steps. Step one is Israel calls the main operation done, but they remain. That they're going to remain there as a militant force overseeing the, um, let's call it, infrastructure rebuilding, the civic infrastructure. You got to, you know, the water plants, electricity, the food distribution. You're going to have to rebuild all of that, right? And Israel, I believe step one, is going to maintain a presence while this is being rebuilt. Now, that's not going to be tolerated. We got to go to step two, which is who who next is going to oversee? Not Hamas. Who will be the next step? What are your thoughts? Well, and frankly, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know that they're talking about like Saudi Arabia representatives from more moderate 
countries, quote unquote, right. that could come in here, Egypt, exercise authority. I know Erdogan from Turkey says, hey, I, <laughs> I'm willing to help out. Sure. Please just sign me up. Right. I want to also be a part of restoring the Ottoman Empire along the way as well. <laughs> Uh, so I think you see those different dynamics. You have different people that are different uh, countries that are saying, yeah, I want to weigh in on this one because that will directly impact them too. And, and, and keep in mind, when that rebuilding takes place, there's a lot of money oh my associated oh, with yes. it. There will be, and there will be so much coming in. Absolutely. And so what nation wouldn't want to be part of that rebuilding process? Okay, let's take a look at some of those options because I think we can eliminate some of them as that's not going to work, right? <clears throat> For example, uh, you brought up Turkey. That's not going to work. I mean, the, the fallout of tensions and relationships, Absolutely. not going to work. Egypt. Egypt uh, has been very, very um, – they've been pushing back hard on Israel. Recently. Recently. But even at the very beginning, they said, we don't want this spilling over into our territory. We don't want the Palestinians in our territory. There's been a real strong effort. In fact, there's been pushes uh, upon the Biden administration to kind of twist the arm of the Egyptians to let the Palestinian refugees come into their country. And Biden has actually refused to do so. They're, so they're trying <clears throat> to contain it all within in the Gaza Strip. Uh, so could Egypt play a role? Yes, I think they could play a role in this because they obviously have a vested interest in peace on their border. I think along with that, uh, a very important point to bring out is that um, they are not supporters of Hamas because mm -hmm. Hamas poses a threat to their mm -hmm. border as, mm -hmm. a, as a country as well. Mm -hmm. And so I could see them play a role in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, going back to the Hamas roots really is an outcrop of the Muslim Brotherhood, yes. which controlled Egypt right before the current administration. Exactly. Um, so would Egypt be an option? Well, I don't, number one, I don't believe they would do it. Um, I mean, I think that would be an, an interesting option. Jordan <clears throat> is another option. But how deep do they want to get involved? Now, they've been pushing very, very hard mm -hmm. for there to be a two-state solution going back to the 1967 borders. Mm -hmm. So they've been pushing hard for that. But I don't see them necessarily stating we want to be involved in the, the peace maintenance operation of things or the rebuilding operation. I haven't caught wind of anything like that. Cutter. Cutter is definitely being discussed. Been involved, but they're yeah. also a state sponsor behind what Hamas has been doing. Mm -hmm. Although so they, how much can you trust there? Well, I agree. And frankly, they're the hosts, right? They're hosting the Hamas leadership and they're negotiating. I mean, they're, less, they're trying to negotiate. So, but I don't believe anybody would give serious. Here's the problem. See, in, in order for Qatar or anyone else to oversee the administration of Gaza, they have to be able to militarily control Hamas. You know that Qatar's not going to do that, right? That's not going to be acceptable to Israel. Not for a moment. Um, okay, what about the Palestinian Authority? They, they control the West Bank. Sure. Cur Mahmoud Abbas? Right. He's, he's offered to say, hey, after things all settle, we're willing to step in there. What would be the pushback there? Well, number one... Uh, the citizens of Gaza didn't want the Palestinian Authority over them. Mm -hmm. So there's an issue on that front. Number two, what role have they played in the past in regards to securing a two-state solution? 
have they have they championed that or have they been opposed to a two state solution because they want a one state solution meaning from the river to the sea Palestine would be free well i think also it's worth pointing out that they have not been able to control um the militant arm of their own people and their own government you might call that agreed uh, so how are they going to bring any kind of controls over Hamas? I, that is not going to work. And let's not forget that the Palestinian Authority are still to this day paying terrorists who attack Israel, right? And the money is paid according to the damage that they do. You harm a, an Israeli, you get so much a month. You kill an Israeli, you get way more a month, Right. And they're still doing it today, by the way, which is also funded by the United Nations, exactly which is right. funded by the by the United States. Now, <clears throat> before that was tried to put an end. We tried to put an end to that, mm-hmm. but it's being reestablished uh, currently. So I, I <clears throat> find difficulty in seeing this happen. Um, another aspect that has been brought up was the whole uh, – and we can probably talk about this in the next segment – maybe putting a buffer zone within Gaza, but that's been rejected as well. But I do believe there is some good sense to a buffer zone. And let's talk about that after the break. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, this has been great. Uh, You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on 93.9 KPDQ and 820 AM The Word. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, and also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. In studio today with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center. I'm honored to serve with him there. And also, he's the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. Uh, we've been wrestling, Pastor Rich, with this question, has Israel gone too far? And then we've kind of migrated to another topic. What's the day after going to look like? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned these different phases that could potentially be enacted by Israel mm-hmm. the day Hamas surrenders or or, or is no longer uh, a viable entity to resist mm-hmm. Israel any longer. Mm-hmm. So... I wanted to continue that thought. Well, I mentioned um, two potential steps. Really, I think we need to discuss three, and uh, the third being a potential Palestinian state. I want to go there as potential step three. Uh, I mentioned what I believe would be step one, which is that Israel declares the um, military offensive phase completed. They move into the phase where they basically have a, a presence militarily to control the, the rebuilding of the civic aspect, right? The water, the food, the... The, the, the infrastructure. The infrastructure. <clears throat> Controlling even the flow of monies mm-hmm. coming from United Nations and other nations uh, to rebuild. I believe that phase one, step one, could last, you know, anywhere from one year to, you know, three years. Step two would be to have some kind of uh, caretaker leadership, some other country, for example, that could bring oversight so that Israel can step out of that role. Now, we were discussing before the break potential candidates for that uh, very difficult assignment. I have a question for you real quick. Would you put the U.N. 
Oh, my goodness. In charge of that. You know what? I'm glad you brought it up because it was on my mind to, to discuss. And that is, uh, the answer is no. And here's why. Every time that the United Nations has put together a so-called peacekeeping force, they have never stood up to anybody. Never does. Ever. Right. So as soon as, for example, there was a peacekeeping force in Egypt, uh, in the Sinai, for example, they, uh, back in the 50s when Egypt was repeatedly attacking Israel. And... Um, at one point, when Israel uh, uh, was going to come under attack by Egypt, Egypt was declaring de facto war. They simply told the United Nations peacekeeping force, leave. And they just up and left. Wow. Like, well, what was the point of you being there if it wasn't to keep the peace? And, and then I think about it on another lang- angle. Um, you know, we have the whole issue with Iran and nuclear weapons and whatnot. Well, here the U.N. is supposed to be monitoring that, mm-hmm. managing that. But there was a report that came out just this last week saying they're not being fully transparent. And, and frankly, the United, Na- United States and the rest of the world would not have very much time to react as they get the, the wheels churning in regards to uh, enriching uranium. Mm-hmm. So, again... The United Nations is out because, number one, their peacekeeping forces don't work well. And number two, they don't have a very strong record when it comes to <laughs> monitoring uh, weapons right. moving in and out <clears throat> of these countries that they're supposed to monitor. Uh, you keep bringing up some really great topics that I want to go down. <laughs> I want to do it. I want to talk about every one of these topics because they're so important. Uh, but we're, let's stay on track here. We're talking about... What is next in Gaza, right? We're talking about step two, which is what candidate could oversee if Israel was to withdraw and hand that off to somebody else. United Nations, we just said, no, that would, a peacekeeping force is a complete joke. It would never work. Uh, Egypt, now, potentially. Jordan, not likely. Qatar, unacceptable. Syria, Lebanon, they're both no out. No way. Um, Turkey, no way. Iraq's <laughs> trying to still figure out their own deal. Right. Saudi Arabia, we did mention them before. But, you know, they don't really have a military. They don't. And, and, and what, what Arab nation wants to be responsible to militarily take down Hamas? Now, speaking of Saudi Arabia, what's interesting about this, this dangling carrot you know, before October 7th, there were talks in regards to Israel and Saudi Arabia normalizing relations mm-hmm. with one another. Mm-hmm. That got shelved uh, mm-hmm. after October 7th. But now we have more talk right. uh, on that <clears throat> front. And Saudi Arabia is included in the equation here. Yes. Um, and I think we should say that got put on the shelf, but it's still there. Yes. Right. And... I, re- I read a recent report by the State Department that said essentially every Arab state wants normalize- normalized relationships with Israel. Everyone. That is, can you imagine somebody saying that 10 years ago? Not at all. Not I mean, at all. this world has changed. Yes. And is rapidly changing before but our eyes. But at the same time, they're very adamant in regards to saying there must be a Palestinian state. And so they're <clears> pushing <throat> that. And they said there can be no talks. And that's drawn the United States into the equation, even discussing a unilateral recognition of a Palestinian state. And they're looking at that as being a step one. Mm -hmm. So here's step one. Mm -hmm. We recognize a Palestinian state. And then let's talk about normalization between Israel 
and Saudi Arabia. So some interesting dynamics that are coming into play utilizing Saudi Arabia as a means to achieve that end. Meanwhile, Israel says that is completely out of order. That is not going to happen. Well, and rightly <clears throat> so, because if you think about it, and, and Bibi Netanyahu said this repeatedly, um, if you give the Palestinians their state, that recognition, they win. Exactly right. They have won. Right. <clears throat> and now you're rewarding what transpired on October 7th. And then he rightly said, don't think it'll be contained within Israel's, the Middle Eastern area, the Israel's borders. It will continue to spread because once you reward that type of behavior, it'll motivate those types of actors, pure evil, to do it again. And, I mean, you are absolutely right. Hamas would call that a win. I mean, it would, it would all be worth it for them if they could do that. Couldn't agree. Right. So back to our question. Step one, Israel has a military oversight, but there is a rebuilding. The military operations are called over. I think what would be interesting to see would be would these Iran proxies then, let's say, halt? Would the Houthis stop their actions in the Red Sea? Would Hezbollah in the north, uh, you know, back off there? Interesting, Hezbollah is another topic. Uh, that whole, they could absolutely unleash terror on the north, and they're not, which is, again, very, very interesting. They're being held back. Again, they're a proxy of Iran. And Iran is holding them back. Exactly right. right. Because I think they see that they're fully nobody, and Israel could, and the United States can bring the war right to Iran. At some point, they're afraid of, of a, an Iraq, a Iraq type of invasion. I agree. I agree. That being said, that doesn't mean that Iran's ideologies change. That doesn't mean some of these other actors within the Middle East, that their ideology, their, their position against Israel's change. By no means. And now we're coming up against another station break. Boy, these, these segments go by so fast yes. and uh, so honored that uh, the listeners are with us today. I want you to know you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, 93.9 KPDQ and 8.20 AM, The Word. We'll be right back for some more. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsborough, Oregon, and I'm also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. In studio today with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. I have the honor of serving with him there. And he's also the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. During our last few segments, we've been talking about this <clears throat> issue of what happens after um, Israel removes Hamas from Gaza. What does that look like? And one of the topics that came up was this idea of a two-state solution. Right. And, and and what would that look like? And and who would who would support such a thing? Well, let's go back one half of a step because um you you, you said that when Israel removes Hamas, well first of all, uh they can only remove Hamas so far, right? Uh they can remove them from any kind of let's say governmental station, but they're not gonna remove Hamas. Right, that's like trying to remove all the rats out of New York City. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Um, you just got to keep them from running the city, right? Mm -hmm. So 
but they will do that. They've already essentially done that. Hamas is not running Gaza. Under no circumstance is Hamas running Gaza. That's done. But what's next? We've been mentioning potential three steps. Step one would be the um, the military operations are called over, but they maintain a force in the rebuilding of the civic infrastructure. Step one. Step two would be some kind of proxy, um, quasi-temporary government to oversee um, the rebuilding and the governmental structures of Gaza. That would be step two. Step three, which is very much on the forefront of discussion recently, is potential Palestinian state, the two-state solution. Now, the question you just mentioned was, who does want that and who does not want that? And there's history about it. I mean, clearly, uh, the Palestinians historically— have not wanted a two-state solution. I'll circle back to that one in just a moment. What about Iran? Do mm-hmm. they want a two-state solution? No, they are, they are the enemy of Israel. Israel is the little Satan. The United States is the great Satan, Satan and they are committed to the annihilation well, of both. Let me bring up this point. <clears throat> back before 1967, Jordan, the nation Jordan, controlled uh, the West Bank, the so-called West Bank. They could have right then and there declared and made a, a two-state solution. They could have easily done that. Did they do that? No. Um, Egypt controlled Gaza all through the 1950s. Well, not all through, but a lot. And all the way up to and through 1967. They could have made a, a, a state out of that area. Did they? No. Why? Because their agenda was not to make a two-state solution. Right, it's only recently on the on the forefront of discussion. Back in those days, they were attacking because they wanted a bigger Jordan. Mm-hmm. They wanted a bigger Israel. They wanted a bigger Syria. They wanted a bigger Lebanon. I mean, come on. Nobody wanted a two-state solution. Couldn't agree more. And in fact, um, I came across an, an article recently by memory, and they translate uh, various uh, interviews and radio pro- uh, broadcasts and whatnot. And there was this interview uh, from a leader of Hamas, Khalid Mashal. And he confirmed that the Palestinians reject any two-state solution. I'd like to read this to you. Sure. And I quote, I would like to say two things about the two-state solution. First, we have nothing to do with the two-state solution. We reject this notion because it means you would get a promise for a state. Yet, you are required to recognize the legitimacy of the other state, which is the Zionist entity. This is unacceptable. We demand to be liberated, to get rid of the occupation, and to have our independence and our state. I believe that October 7th has enhanced this conviction has narrowed the disagreements and has turned the idea of liberating Palestine from the river to the sea into a realistic idea that has already begun. It is not something to be expected or hoped for. It is part of the plan, part of the agenda, and we are standing on its threshold, Allah willing. Close oh, quote. my. And that again, who was that you're quoting? That was Khalid Mashal. Hamas leader. And when was that made? That was done earlier this month. Recently. Yes. That is clearly stating 
that they don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution. That is to say, the the Palestinian uh, um, state is all made up of Palestinians because they've eliminated Israel. Exactly right. I mean, that ought to be... I mean, that ought to put shivers down anybody's spine. And, and so here's the problem. Here's the dilemma. When you hear that... Right. And you are in Israel's shoes, mm-hmm. what else do you do? Right. And then you hear them, they're called occupiers. Exactly. Right. Well, and then when you ask for that to be defined, you, you ask Palestinians, define what you mean. What area are they occupying? Answer, all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean all of it? Because all of it is theirs. Right. Exactly right. They're, they don't have a foothold anywhere. You ask the predominant population of Palestine. Well, frankly, if you go to campuses all over the United States and, and ask the next generation of students coming up in universities today, is Israel an occupier? Which then leads me to another point. You know, we talk about the re-educating of the citizens of Gaza. That's right. But it's it's much more far-reaching than that. Well, yeah, that's right. And then when you have the media and you have these government institutions mm-hmm. that are funding that propaganda, that anti-Semitic propaganda, it's difficult for Israel to ever win the narrative because they are outgunned, outmanned. When it comes to When it propaganda. comes to this narrative. That's right. And so we are in a very, very difficult spot. And then... Uh, it's kind of like spiritual warfare, I think, in the sense that, you know, if I'm tempted to sin and I, I, I'm able to resist that temptation, mm-hmm. does that mean Satan gives up at that point and says, okay, well, I guess, I guess Matthew Dodd's pretty strong and he, boy, you know what, there's no way I can win this battle. I'm just going to give up. No, he comes back and tempts again. Mm-hmm. And I think to relate this to this situation, um, Will Israel's enemies stop? Even if they got a two-state solution, would they stop? No, actually, they wouldn't. Because and we know what their agenda is. It's already begun. That's, it's expected to, uh, and, and not just to be hoped for. He says it's part of the plan. It's part of the agenda. Right. This is what he said. Well, and I think we can prove it because, frankly, uh, Israel controlled Gaza right um, before Hamas took control over it. And the idea was, you know, exchange land for peace. Uh, let's, let's, they want it, let's give Gaza to them, and then assurances of peace were forthcoming. Well, we know where that went. They just, oh, now we can bring our missiles closer. Exactly right. That, that did not work. They pretended <clears throat> to be the friend until it served their purposes to show their true colors. You know, and that brings up negotiations. Um, but I realize our, uh, we really don't have time to discuss that at the moment, but I want to bring that up after the break. And I know we need to say goodbye to our Seattle audience, which is yes. sad. Um, but but they, but they can follow along with the remaining segments on the podcast as well. And so we're grateful that you've joined us today. Uh, again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dotta with Pastor Rich Jones. We'll be back for the remaining two segments on 93.9 KPDQ and uh, saying goodbye to those on 820 AM. Hope you can join us on the podcast. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to The Georgine Rice Show. My name is Matthew Dodd. I'm the Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro and also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. 
Honored once again to be in studio with Pastor Rich Jones, who's a senior pastor of Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough and the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. Yeah, you know, Pastor Rich, we've been talking about this whole Israel war against Hamas since October 7th, this Palestinian problem. We've been talking about even a two-state solution. And truth be told, as we've been making our way through these segments, it's very clear that the waters are quite muddy. These, this is, these are difficult <laughs> issues. And, and navigating these so that parties on both sides feel satisfied with the conclusion well, is difficult at best. It will never happen. And, well, as that old saying goes, right, negotiation is concluded when both sides are unhappy. Um, you, you said a funny statement. It's very clear that it's muddy. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. Um, how does this thing end? I think that's that's another looming question. Right? How does it end? Well, we know it ends when Hamas stops fighting. When will they stop fighting? Well, I believe it's directly connected to the hostages. Right? They've got what 150, 136 is last count last, that I heard. And yeah. well, some have, yes, some have passed away. Some have passed away, um, and some were saved. Um, okay, 136. It's still a lot. Mm-hmm. Is all in my mind. It's all tied to the hostages, right? So let's say that they negotiated. Um, okay, we'll take um, ten um, Palestinian prisoners for every one. Yeah, but the problem is, is the numbers are much higher than that. And even Joe Biden came out and said that's over the top because they were asking more like for 150 uh, per hostage or even higher. And some of these people coming out of uh, the Israeli jails. Are, are mass murderers. So we're talking about bringing violence and mayhem back. right back into the West Bank. All right, but let's go back to that question. All right, so let's, what is the number? Let's say we, they negotiate and say, okay, um, 500 then. 500, which seems ridiculous, but let's just say it, right? Um, 500 for every one. It, it won't happen. Now let's just say it was. Uh, now what? Okay, we exchange hostages. Are we done? Well, what do you think Israel will do at that point? Israel, at that point, will go after Hamas. And Hamas knows that. Exactly. So why release the hostages? See, that's their, that's their gambit right there. They hold that right, like, like the queen on the chessboard. Like you can't let go or, or, the, queen, or the king is going to be next. Once they do, they're done. They're done. So you have to hold on to those hostages as long as you can. That's why these negotiations are stalled, because they know that's the end. And so they say, uh, Hamas says, we won't release the hostages until we get an agreement that the war is over. right? And in exchange, we'll give you the hostages and assurances that we'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, think about this. We want a ceasefire. But you know as well as I, they just want a ceasefire from Israel towards them. Right. It's not going to go the opposite direction. Well, I mean, let's bring this out also. You know that— <laughs> By the way, how many successful ceasefires have there really been? Well, that was my point. <laughs> that was my point. I mean, they were under an agreed ceasefire— They were. —when they broke the, tr- yeah. that, the, the, the peace. Israel was— funneling opportunity after opportunity to the citizens of Gaza, 
letting them cross the border, right. work in the homes, and it teed everything up for October 7th. And they were lulled into a false sense of, frankly, believing. Well, because they had concerns at the West Bank instead. Right. More yes. action was going up in the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, uh, rightly said there. And, and so they were distracted by that. They were moving things away from Gaza, thinking everything was fine there. Well, they were also distracted by the domestic uh, uh, riots that were happening in the street. Exactly. Rioting uh, against Netanyahu for his, um, you know, trying to um, change the judicial. Um, nevertheless, that distraction, yes, was in place. They took full advantage of the opportunity and reneged on the ceasefire agreement that they had in place. So, therefore, the question is, well, how can, how can Israel make another ceasefire agreement when they've broken every one they've made so far? Great. Where are we? What, what are we going to do here? But we know we have to end this thing, right? It's got to end. And it always is going to end in negotiations. But what's it going to look like? See, here's the untenable disagreement. Israel says, we're not done until Hamas is done, mm-hmm. done, done, like and triple the, done. And the hostages are back. And hostages are back. We're not done until those two goals are met. Hamas says, well, you're, you're saying that we're, you're not going to give up until we relent. Well, we're not going to do that. You see, it's untenable right now. I, do, I have heard also that they've talked about the possibility of allowing the leaders of Hamas to move to other countries, give them safe passage. Mm-hmm. Which I think is... But again, in all honesty, will they give up the Hamas hope of removing Israel from the face of the earth? No. You can't get rid of the ideology. But you brought up earlier, what about can they change the educational system? So we're now we're talking long game. Right, we're long talking game. years. What? Generation you know, and getting cooperation from your Muslim neighbors mm-hmm. to allow that indoctrination to work its course out of the out of the circulatory system, the mindset of the the Palestinians, so they can think a new way about their Israeli neighbors. And you know, uh, it has been the thinking for a long time. You know, if we just built a successful Gaza, you know, if we just it is a beautiful part of the world. It is, actually. Mm-hmm. If we could just build a successful Gaza, you know, there could be industry. There could be um, uh, agriculture. They could be farming. I mean, there's enough land that we could actually build factories. It could be a, a resort on the Mediterranean right and, there. And that's the thinking that has been going on for years, which is why Western countries and Arab countries have been sending in Multiple, multiple hundreds, billions, really, of dollars into Gaza. So I have a question. Why is it that the West in particular? Because I don't think you have this problem within the, the Middle East and even in some of the Eastern countries. They all see the issue here. Why is it that the West is unwilling to really recognize what's been said about Israel all along by the Palestinians? and these other Arab nations. Why is it they're unwilling to recognize this and thus create a situation where Israel is vulnerable Mm -hmm. of being annihilated? It's a difficult situation because you have have these competing tensions, right? You have now the bulk of the Arab nations, the vast majority, are saying they want normalized relations with Israel. 
And they are frankly tired of Hamas. They are. They, they, this is gaining us nothing. It's won nothing. It's gained nothing. It's got a new future. Give it up. Stop. You know, if you could just give it up, we could rebuild something here. But they won't do it. They are not in agreement with this ideology. Well, they're stuck too. But they don't want to take it. They don't want to tackle it. They don't want to, they don't want to be, you know, killing their own brothers, you might call it. Mm-hmm. So what, what is the solution? That's the, that's the dilemma of the day. Well, we say, uh, we hear now talk, well, we need a two-state solution. You just butt it up. That's no solution. That's only going to give the Palestinian another opportunity to bring the fight even closer. I couldn't agree more. Well, let's circle back to that yeah. in the next segment as we conclude the show today here in just a little bit. But, hey, you're still listening to the Georgine Rice Show on 93.9 KPDQ. And we've got one more segment left when we're going to tackle this big issue. Great to have you with us today. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro, Oregon, and also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel in studio today. So honored to be able to co-host with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro and also the Founder and Chairman of Blessers of Israel. So we have walked our way through some very, very difficult waters here regarding Israel, mm-hmm. uh, the war against Hamas, mm-hmm. uh, the possibility of a two-state solution. What does the world look like after Hamas is no longer able to function as the organization it currently functions as, mm-hmm. was able to do what it did on October 7th? And so we want to circle back and Hopefully towards the end, my prayer is that we can give a ray of hope for those who are listening, wondering, what do we do? Mm-hmm. How do we pray mm-hmm. when we look at all these things? What are your thoughts, Pastor Rich? Well, uh, and of course, a, an update like this has been due. I mean, I think we, we've we been needing to talk about the situation in Israel because <clears throat> the question of what's next is looming. Um, and, and frankly, as we were talking about at the last segment, it all is going to be connected to the hostages, but the future of Israel, right? Where does this stand in regard to the big picture yeah. of the future of Israel? Now, we're, there's all manner of talk about a two-state solution. Uh, is that possible? I, I think that this current uh, war brings it up, but the reality of that, uh, I, don't, I don't believe Israel will be part of the negotiations. Well, in fact, you know, public opinion has really pivoted, and rightly so, in light of October 7th. And so now it's not just Benjamin Netanyahu saying we can't have a two-state solution as things stand where they are right now. Uh, the people who elected him into office, we're mm-hmm. talking upwards of over 80%, mm-hmm. do not trust the Palestinian Authority to manage a two-state solution let alone having that on your border without some type of control or mechanism to ensure the safety of the Israelis. So without that trust, right, how can you have a, a, a two-state solution you quoted earlier that assumes a mutual acknowledgement of each other's right to exist, mm-hmm. which we've heard talk from the Palestinian Authority of such, but Hamas and the vast majority of Palestinian population, no. Absolutely not. No, we're back to the Palestine will be free from the river to the sea, which means 
Israel must be annihilated. Well, how do you ever have a two-state solution if there's not going to be an acknowledgement of the right of both states? Number one, it just is not going to happen, and Israel is not going to be a participant in that if that is forced upon them, which is what is being discussed now. Force that upon them. Right, the United States is is starting to say that. Uh, We're hearing European nations starting to say this. We are seeing a pivot with the United States. Right. And then the UK chimes in, David Cameron, almost on cue, saying, hey, we need to engage on this idea of a two-state solution. And Israel saying, hey, wait a second, you're doing all these negotiations with these other uh, Arab nations. Why aren't we at the negotiating table? Because according to the Oslo Accords, it really is between us and the Palestinians. So the discussion is, well, what if we forced it on them? And I'll tell you, I don't believe it will ever happen without Israel's participation in it. But that is the discussion right now. What if we forced it on them? But it brings back the question, what does the future of Israel look like? And, And frankly, in order to answer the question, we got to go biblical. I agree. And the truth is, it's going to get worse before <clears throat> it gets better. It will. In fact, you know, you read Ezekiel 38, 39, and you can see in there even the nations that will be aligned against Israel in, in a great battle. Yeah. And in fact, that's one of the <clears throat> things that we focus on at Blessers of Israel. When you go to our mm-hmm. website, blessers.org, that's with an O-R-S dot O-R-G, you go to our newsroom and you watch the podcast, you see the articles that are written, and you also see the articles that are curated from other sources. They're intentionally looking at the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 because I believe, and I'm sure you would agree, that the stage is being set for the Battle of Gog and Magog, mm-hmm. where you're going to have Russia from the north lead a coalition of nations, including Persia, which is Iran, mm-hmm. Turkey. <clears throat> and some other minor actors. But basically, Israel is going to be surrounded from the north, the east, and the south. And they're going to be outnumbered, mm-hmm. outmanned, and outgunned. And there is no way for them to survive. Uh, you're going to have some actors like Sheba and Deden, we're told in Ezekiel 38, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia, who are going to weigh in and say, hey, what are you doing? Are you trying to take all the spoils from Israel? But they won't say anything in regards to stopping it. They won't do anything to stop it. And Israel is going to be attacked. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for four catastrophic, cataclysmic divine judgments against Israel's enemies, Israel, it would be from the river to the sea, Palestine would be free. But he intervenes. And he does intervene. But all of that sets the stage for the the Antichrist— Because you're going to create this huge vacuum in the East, and now the West, the resurgence of the Roman Empire will come from the West, the Antichrist will come in and enact that peace treaty with Israel, and at the three-and-a-half-year mark, break that covenant. Mm -hmm. But then that sets the stage for the end of the tribulation period, when Israel, that remnant, will call upon the Lord and a spirit of grace will be poured out upon Israel, and Jesus Christ will come, and he will set up his millennial kingdom. That's a lot of theology packed into just a a brief span of time there, but there's where we're going. This is where this is headed. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've heard a better summary 
of eschatology of the latter days and not two minutes right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great lead-in to we need to pray and stand for Israel. And that's really what Blessors of Israel does. So we invite our listeners to join us, praying for Israel, stand for Israel. Um, Calling out anti-Semitism <clears throat> which is in everywhere. all of its forms. Right. And join us. Come to blessors.org. We welcome to join our uh, our podcasts and listen as we are going to be uh, talking about the events of the world from that biblical viewpoint and praying for Israel. And uh, so, you know, that's, you know, Lord bless Israel. Lord, put your hand on Israel and, and, and protect, you know, bring peace to Jerusalem. I mean, this is our prayer. I couldn't agree with you more because when you look at what's <coughs> been going on, it just breaks your heart. I don't know about you, but it just breaks my heart when I see all the pain right. and, and all the suffering. Right. But at the same time, I believe God is going to use all these things mm-hmm. to draw people to his son, to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he is going to make right all that is wrong. He's going to settle all accounts. But also keep in mind, and I think you know, during the tribulation period, Jesus spoke to the fact that how people treat Israel— Mm-hmm. The separation of the sheep and the goats uh, is going to play a role, you know, and there's going to be an impact. What you say about Israel, and I believe the promise that was given to Abraham, right. those who bless Israel will be blessed, that's where we stand. That's where we stand. I agree. Any other comments you want to add to that? No, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to bring this update. Thank you, Georgine. Yes. And, uh, you know, let's do it again. But I want to just encourage our listeners, um, pray, pray for the peace of Israel. Bless Israel in your prayers for those who, you just said it, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Um, let's stand together. And uh, so, Pastor Matthew, I'll let you wrap this up. Well, it's just been an honor to be with you. And again, I agree with you, Pastor Rich. Thank you, Georgine, for allowing us to co-host your show today. And uh, we pray you listeners have been blessed as well. And we also covet your prayers for blessers of Israel as we launch this ministry and, and want to have an impact for God's kingdom. Well, you've been listening to the Georgine Rice Show today on 93.9 KPDQ. It's been an honor to be with you. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.